0: Welcome back. Happy December 28th, 2020. As we count down the days to the new year, a few thoughts occur. First, I acknowledged it in one previous monologue last week and don't think it needs to be done again. That is what a horrible year this was. The reason I want to not belabor the point is thoughts two and three. Because that was the one boat we were all in together. The only thing we were in together this year. People said it was about COVID. We were all in together. No, all of us were in the boat of horribleness together. Some more than others, but we all suffered something or several things. And third, still, here we are, and there is cause to be grateful. It can always be worse. Soldiers know that. Survivors and non-survivors of 9-11 know that. Accident victims know that. A lot of people know it can always be worse. You can't say it's the worst if you can say it's the worst, Shakespeare tells us. And if all of us are being honest, we know that, too. We should not be a society of complainers. It's not what is wanted of us. More importantly, it's not what is needed of us. We have a duty of gratitude, a moral duty not to sink, shall we say to depression, or lowering the value of top-shelf problems, or anything else. Suicide, national as much as personal, is simply not our natural state or calling. Patriotism, after all, still means something here, or should. The left tells us not to question theirs, and we on the right seem to never forget its import. We may need to be reminded of it from time to time, however, as Walter Burns reminds of Reminds us, patriotism is not natural, like any kind of love. It has to be taught, even if by example, as much as by instruction. He writes, Patriotism means love of country and implies a readiness to sacrifice for perhaps even to give one's life for it. In the traditional or Spartan sense, patriots are those who love their country simply because it is their country, because it is their birthplace and the mansion of their fathers. As Alexis de Tocqueville put it in his Democracy. In America, it is a kind of filial piety. But no one, not even a Spartan, is born loving his country. Such love is not natural, but has to be taught or inculcated or somehow acquired. A person may not even be born loving himself. The authorities differ on this, but he soon enough learns to do so. And unless something is done about it, he will continue to do so. And in a manner that makes a concern for country and fellow countrymen or any other than himself, difficult if not impossible. The problem is as old as politics, and we Americans are not exempt from having to deal with it. Abraham Lincoln got at this in his beautiful eulogy of Henry Clay, saying he loved his country partly because it was his own country, but mostly because it was a free country, and he burned with a zeal for its advancement, prosperity and glory, because he saw in such the advancement, prosperity, and glory of human liberty, human right, and human nature. He desired the prosperity of his countrymen, partly because they were his countrymen, but chiefly to show to the world that free men could be prosperous. Note what Lincoln is getting at here. Two people in different countries can be taught to love their country, but one may actually be right and one may actually be wrong or misdirected. Perhaps he should love another country rather than his own. It would depend on the organization, character, and essence of the country. To wit, a German in 1943 could be understood for loving his country, understood but not respected or justified. An American loving his country in 1943 should have not been only understood, but very clearly justified, as he should be today. This leads me to two things that are, I think, the best things I read this year and have read on air this year, bearing, I think, repeating, neither written any time recently. The first is from P.J. O'Rourke. He wrote it in 1989 at the time of the Berlin Wall's breach. He was teary-eyed but knew we in the West didn't quite celebrate the end of communist control of Europe quite right and thus didn't bury the ideology of the wall or Marxism quite sufficiently. He wrote, I think there are a lot of people that don't get it. Our own President Bush, <laughs> excuse me, our own President Bush seems to regard the events in Eastern Europe as some kind of odd dance craze or something. When I got back to the United States, I was looking through the magazines and newspapers and it seemed that all I saw were editorial writers pulling long faces about wither united Germany and whence America's adjustment to the new realities of Europe. Is that the kind of noise people were making in Times Square on V.E. Day? I say shut up, you egghead flap gums. We've got the whole rest of history to sweat the small stuff. And those discredited peace creeps, they can zip their soup coolers too. They think Mikhail Gorbachev is a visionary. Yeah, he's a visionary like Hirohito was after Nagasaki. We won. And let's not let anybody forget it. We the people, the free and equal citizens of democracies, we living exemplars of the rights of man tore a new you-know-what in international communism. Their wall is breached. Their gut string is busted. The rot of their dead body politic fills the nostrils of the earth with a glorious stink. We cleaned the clock of Marxism. We mopped the floor with them. We ran the reds through the ringer and hung them out to dry. The privileges of liberty and the sanctity of the individual went out and whipped butt. And the best thing about our victory is the way we did it. Not just with ICBMs and Green Berets and aid to the Contras. Those things, yes, and they were important, but also with Levi 501 jeans. 72 years of communist indoctrination and propaganda was drowned out by a three-ounce Sony Walkman. A huge totalitarian system with all its tanks and guns, gulag camps, and secret police has been brought to its knees because nobody wants to wear Bulgarian shoes. They may have had their soldiers and their warheads and their fine-sounding ideology that suckered the college students and the nitwit third-worlders, but we had the fun, the freedom, and now their lunch, and we're number one on the planet. Made me want to do a little sack dance right there in the Cold War's end zone. We're the best, we're the greatest. The only undefeated socioeconomic system in the league. I wanted to get up on the wall and really rub it in. Taste the ash heap of history, you bullshy nose wipes. Close quote. But that's not what we did. Instead, we wrung our hands and worried because we were unused to winning and unused to a new ordering of the world along the lines of freedom, We were unused to something other than real politique. Too bad. It was a case of not understanding ideology or philosophy. One part, one big part of that is what has led us or too many of us to where we are today, which leads me to the other best thing I read all year from C.S. Lewis in 1948 writing quote, in one way, We think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I tempt to reply as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways anyway. We had indeed one very great advantage, though, over our ancestors, anesthetics. And we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together if we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb. Let that bomb, when it comes... Find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. Any microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Hard to improve on that. But then again, I think it's hard to improve on any ancient wisdom that was truly wisdom or wise. Unlocking it today as we head into the next year, it seems to me, would be a very good New Year's resolution. It shouldn't be that hard. Resolution means, after all, the process of reducing things into simpler forms. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, add that song to the Evergreen, please, Bill. We have we have to get through our Evergreen before the end of the year. 602 um, 508 is um, the number. And uh, delighted to be with you uh, today. I hope you had a really very Merry Christmas. Um, if you uh, are going through the next few days or even... Uh, the holiday weekend, looking for uh, something to watch. I know a lot of people are catching up on series and stuff like that, but uh, one very inspiring uh, documentary I want to encourage you to watch is Poor to CEO, the story of the incredible journey of Herman Cain, available at SalemNow.com. I I knew Herman, and he was a great man, always happy, um, and boy was he accomplished. Uh, Growing up from... The depths of poverty to becoming the CEO of Godfather's Pizza, his battle in conquering uh, uh, his battle over cancer, presidential run, uh, great radio host, um, embodying all the values that we esteem, belief in God, personal responsibility, hard work, living each day thankfully. It's really one of the most inspirational, entertaining, entertaining films uh, of the year, and it's available at SalemNow.com. That's to CEO, the Herman Cain story, at SalemNow.com. Make sure to use the promo code Phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X, to save 20%. I don't know why I spelled Phoenix. Is there a need to spell Phoenix? I, I guess maybe I thought I mispronounced it or something. Sometimes I... I do that. Um or I just garble a word. How many words do I say a week? Did we do, did we figure out? I think it was eighty-five. Eighty to eighty-five thousand. I'm gonna get a few off, aren't I? Um well, a lot to do today, and again your calls six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Anything you wanna talk about is uh open and fair game. Got some great guests coming up too the let's start with things that are bothering me a little bit um, maybe bothering me a lot a bit um, when will be when will we be rid of this troublesome priest and by priest I mean ethic thinking of appropriateness idiocy um, The Washington post's chief political reporter is a man named uh, dan balls b a l z been around a long time, really one of the veteran journalists, and he had a piece out in the Washington Post yesterday, after a year of pandemic and protest and a big election, America is as divided as ever. And there's a lot of those columns about America's uh, divisions. I get it. Uh, We all do. We all know it. Um, So I suppose you think you might have to write something interesting or new or different um, if you're going to write something for the Washington Post. He does not write something interesting, new or different. He writes something um, old, tired and plain wrong. Let me give you these um, two sentences smack in the middle of this piece. He's talking about what Trump has done for the or to increase, to exacerbate. That's the word we need. What Donald Trump has done to exacerbate the divisions in this country. And then, of course, it's not Trump he's criticizing as we know, most of the media, they're usually criticizing a lot of his supporters, you and me. <clears throat> Dan doesn't make any bones about it. He says so. For Trump supporters, quoting, for Trump supporters, you're nodding in agreement like you know what's coming. You kind of probably do. I'll, I'll just give it to you. For Trump supporters, cultural preservation of an America long dominated by a white, Christian majority remains a cornerstone of their belief. That helps to explain their attachment to a president who has warned that the Democrats and their allies are determined to rewrite the nation's history and destroy its heritage. That's two sentences. For Trump supporters, cultural preservation of an America long dominated by a white Christian majority remains a cornerstone of their beliefs that helps to explain their attachment to a president who has warned that the Democrats and their allies are determined to rewrite the nation's history and destroy its heritage I'm sorry working backwards who created the 1619 project to rewrite the history I'm sorry working backwards what movement was about destroying monuments and statues I am sorry what side of the aisle and movement has been in our classrooms rewriting our course book, our history course books using the 1619 projects project. project. Now that's the least of it. The extreme offense is the first sentence for Trump supporters, cultural preservation of an America long dominated by a white Christian majority remains a cornerstone of their beliefs. Can you be more offensive? Donald Trump, to repeat something you would think the Washington Post chief's political correspondent would know, Donald Trump won 200 counties, 209 counties in 2016 that twice voted for Barack Obama. Is that, are those counties, was his support? dominated by a white Christian majority who believes in the cultural preservation of an America that is a white Christian majority. He doesn't have a white Christian majority in his own house. Not if you think Jews aren't Christians, much less Orthodox Jews. How about a single speech where donald trump says anything like that the fight began on this in earnest over the summer of course and the biggest most important most criti- criticized speech of donald trump's was his speech over the july 4th weekend at mount rushmore what did donald trump say in that speech was he um Was he saluting a white Christian majority? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Let me give you a key paragraph from Donald Trump's speech in South Dakota. Quote, we are the country of Andrew Jackson, Ulysses S. Grant, and Frederick Douglass. Okay. Okay. Three Christians, but not all white. We are the land of wild Bill Hickok and Buffalo Bill Cody. We are the nation that gave rise to the Wright brothers, the Tuskegee Airmen, none of whom were white, Harriet Tubman, not white, Clara Barton, white, Jesse Owens, not white, George Patton, the great Louis Armstrong, not white, Alan Shepard, Elvis Presley, and Muhammad Ali, not white or Christian. And then he says, and only America could have produced them all. No other place. Four interruptions of applause in that one sentence, two sentences of Donald Trump's at Mount Rushmore. What are they t- talking about at The Washington Post? Talk about fact checking. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. Time to uh, do our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski, Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is this fun website. Hope you had a great Christmas, John. I did. Thank you very much for asking. Nice to have you back. Yes. Nice to be back myself. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, there were a couple stories I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, one is, to avoid confusion um, for people, there are stimulus checks that are on the way. The yes. question and the debate is whether they're going to be increased or not. Uh, but there are at least a minimum of
1: $600 stimulus checks going to people. And what do we need to know about that? Well, again, this is going to be uh, uh, based on income, of course, just as the last stimulus check was. So individuals uh, up to $75,000 of adjusted gross income will receive the full $600. Um, heads of household earning up to um, 112500 Married couples up to 150000 So there are some limitations on this. You know, one thing I did read in this article, too, Seth, was interesting, is that there was uh, the first round of stimulus checks, which was $1,200. You know, there are still – it says when the first checks were deployed in March, one congressional timeline estimated it would take up to 20 weeks, it said, to get the money out. This is the first check. However, it said millions of eligible people are still waiting for their checks. So I thought that it would be important to talk about this. If you are one of the ones who would have qualified for this but still have not received your check yet, it says when you file your 2020 taxes, you could claim what's known as a recovery rebate credit. So if you haven't received that first check, uh, you can get a recovery rebate credit, and you can file for that on your taxes, which is a good thing to know for those out there maybe who didn't receive it yet. I'm wondering, too, if
0: it's worth informing people that sometimes they didn't get them directly deposited and they got them in the mail. Mm -hmm. They got them in the mail Mm -hmm. if they weren't directly deposited and if people might have just missed it, tossed it, thought it was junk mail, something like that. So if you're not getting it or seeing it in your direct deposit, I would advise people to just be – Doubly, uh, what? Uh, d- doubly. Just be aware of what's coming yeah, in the d- d- mail. D- watch, d- yeah. look at your mail. Yeah, toss everything. <laughs> yeah, there is a word for this. Yeah, probably. What is that word? Uh, be diligent. Attentive. Yes. Diligent.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: My goodness gracious! What a difference uh, it takes to get a couple of days off. The other—that's um, good advice, John. Yeah. And then, of course, none of this is uh, none of this is taxable income, is it, or is it?
1: Actually, those stimulus checks are included, I believe, for your income. I'm not a tax advisor, but I believe it is included in your income for tax purposes. Got it. But but, but verify that with your tax advisor. Okay,
0: verify it with you because it might be be, uh, discountable or right off. The other question I wanted to ask you was with all the goings on this year, Mm -hmm. a bunch of major companies got in a lot of trouble or at least economic trouble, didn't they?
1: Yeah, well – a lot of the retailers out there, obviously, Seth, as we know, small businesses, restaurants, and other small retail businesses suffered dramatically uh, because of COVID-19. But there are a lot of big companies out there also that were were having difficulty managing and keeping up with uh, the competition that's out there, especially yeah. because of the uh, web, right? The, yeah. the internet sales, right. uh, and those just to mention. And many remember J.C. Penny, It's been around forever. They had they've been having trouble for years. Finally. Uh, had to file for bankruptcy. Um, another one, Neiman Marcus. Now, this is one you wouldn't really think much uh, that they would have this problem, but Neiman Marcus was another one. They had uh, f- $5 billion in assets, liabilities of more than $5 billion stores at about $67, um, but filed uh, in early May for Chapter 11. Guitar Center. This is another big one with over a billion dollars in assets. Taylor Brands. That's Jose uh, Bank mm-hmm. and other um, Ann Taylor, uh, GNC, right, for the uh, for the vitamins, right. like J. Crew, All of these are retail. Brooks Brothers, been around forever. Steinmart, which I was surprised about Steinmart because that's more in line with like the TJ Maxx's, right. the Ross's. These sure. are – they have some of the good brands out mm-hmm. there but at discounted prices. Mm-hmm. Pier 1 Imports, another one. So these were big national uh, chains that suffered and were not able to – get through this pandemic uh, and survive. And, and some f- will
0: stay around even though they're in bankruptcy. Even though right? they're in, Yeah, like right. Neiman Marcus is sticking around. Right,
1: Re-organi- right. reorganizing right. and hopefully coming back in some other way. But uh, it's it's a real challenge because a lot of people lost their jobs sure. because they're closing stores. They're looking for funding to keep certain stores open. Uh, but it's obviously a real challenge. Big and part of the toll of the year. Yeah. It, exactly. And I, I know people can't wait for this year to be over. Uh, and we're, we're hoping for a much better 2021.
0: You betcha. You yeah. betcha. Thank you, John.
1: Again, Seth, if people have any questions, last-minute tips or whatever for the end of the year for finances or for uh, investment, securities and advisory services offered to ClientWin Securities LLC, member of Finman, TIPIC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Clinton Securities LLC are not affiliated. They can go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com and request an appointment. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Seth. Talk you tomorrow. Betcha. Bye-bye.
0: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 6025080960. A couple of segments ago, I was talking about the Washington Post and their veteran political reporter Dan Balls talking about, um, well, basically lying about Trump supporters and Donald Trump himself with regard to what motivates us, which is the preservation of a white Christian America. That motivates no one I know who has supported Donald Trump, and I have no evidence whatsoever that. Even Donald Trump thinks that, based on the speeches he's given, particularly as cited the Mount Rushmore speech, uh, which was chock full of American heroes' mentions and salutes and applause lines of American heroes who are not white and not Christian. Uh, but they, they persist. And the real problem with this is when Dan Balls writes that piece and it's headlined, America is more divided than ever, Yes, this is why America is divided. He doesn't understand that he's actually the problem of cause of so much divisiveness, division, divisiveness and division. The cause is that there are huge swaths of Americans who will never hear the response to Dan Balls, who will never hear, you know, a Dennis Prager uh, talking about it or a me or read the Powerline blog or for that matter, an actual Donald Trump speech. Uh, They will just accept on faith that what's in The Washington Post goes and what he says when he's interviewed on it by Jake Tapper at CNN is truth. They just accept that and move forward. You remember the poll we saw after the election that was conducted in seven um, in seven uh, swing states uh, where 40 plus percent of Biden voters didn't know basic main stories that they said would have changed their votes enough votes to have radically swung the election result in t- into a d- into a in, in a different direction they will never hear the argument which is why people get away saying stupid things and false things no one ever calls them on it no one ever seems to care because who cares If, you know, a right wing conservative radio host says it's not true, will anyone actually go and do the work to see if what a right wing conservative radio host is saying is right? Would they go maybe now to the White House website and read the Mount Rushmore speech? Will they go and look at the statements of Donald Trump's main supporters? Um, I don't I don't know how you get to credibly say these things and not be fact checked by editors. This is this is the funniest of things you know the the new york times can have a meltdown of resignations and firings more firings than resignations over publishing someone's someone's bad idea i guess to publish an op-ed by tom cotton which had every factual accuracy in the world in it i know how they fact-check conservatives i've been there and done that they make us substantiate indefinite articles when we write for it. Post or the Times. They can fire people because he had the wrong opinion. They won't fact-check statements like that in their own news pages that are really exclusively opinion. It's an opinion that has no basis, in fact, whatsoever for Dan Balls to say. Now, if you want to say, well, you know, don't just beat up on the Washington Post. How about the New York Times? Happy to. Happy to. John Hinderocker beat me to the punches, which, which is why I say people will just accept this because they will know never read Powerline. They just won't go there. Um, it's um, a piece that um, that uh, Adam Nagorny, their chief, their Dan Balls. Actually, he's the chief political correspondent at The New York Times, um, a, a piece he wrote called A Stinging Setback in California is a Warning for Democrats in 2022. Adam Nagorney, New York Times writes the Democrats losses came for a number of reasons including forces particular to California and the complications of campaigning during a pandemic but as much as anything they reflected the potency of republican attacks some false or exaggerated that democrats were the party of socialism defunding the police and abolishing private health insurance These are either false or exaggerated statements by Republicans, Okay, that helped win a few Republican seats in California, according to the chief political writer at The New York Times, Adam Nagourney. As Hideraka writes, this is rich. Nagourney doesn't actually cite any Republican attacks that were false or exaggerated, Um it would be interesting to scour the archives of the Times in search of an occasion when Nagurney, or perhaps some other Times reporter has characterized Democrats attacks on Republicans as false or exaggerated, like, for example, the Russian collusion hoax. Um, but it it, it it is leading Democrats like Bernie Sanders and the squad who tell us the Democrats are the party of socialism. We don't need to do that. I mean, we do, but we don't need to be uh, we don't need to be criticized for exaggerating or saying false things when Bernie Sanders and the squad say they are the party of socialists. Um, Nancy Pelosi, when asked on camera to explain the difference between a Democrat and a socialist, didn't. She was stumped. She didn't come up with a thing. Likewise, defunding the police. Is that a false or exaggerated attack? Does Nagurney think it was Republicans who made defund the police a battle cry across America that prompted Joe Biden? To say in a conference call of supporters, we need to ease up on the gas until after January on talk of defunding the police or Barack Obama in an interview on um, on the Breakfast Club uh, podcast saying um, we shouldn't be talking about defund the police. In a number of cities, Democratic politicians have done their very best to making defunding the police a reality. The very best, the the, the very best to do it. Um, Now, one more thing. Nagourney's statement that riots, looting and arson were, quote, heavily covered on local television is revealing because he says that too. the Times, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, the broadcast networks and other reliable Democratic outlets tried to suppress information about the riots that took place across the country precisely so that such information would not damage the Democratic Party. But they failed, mostly on account of local news coverage, which was less dedicated to the Democratic cause and more interested in letting viewers know what was going on. So are the Times fears well grounded that Democrats are worried about California in 2022? I hope so. (laughs) And I think Republicans will take the House and expand their control over the Senate. We should at least win one of the Georgia seats. I want to come back to that point in a moment. The president's party almost always loses ground in his first midterm elections. Last time the Democrats elected a new president, Barack Obama, the 2010 midterms were a disaster for them. That was the rise of the Tea Party, as you may recall. And there was a great deal more enthusiasm for Obama in 08 than for Biden in 2020. I can assure you that. The Democrats have other problems, too, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Remind me to talk about Georgia. I have to tell you, I, I was not nervous about Georgia. I'm now nervous about Georgia. Chalk another item up in the column of why I don't think this is a center-right country. Or let me know if you disagree. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. We're going to have Brandon Weicker. Ariel Davidson hasn't been with us in a while. She's going to join us in the third hour. Um, happy to take your calls with either Uh, or both guests, and we have got to clear out, Bill, we have got to clear out our evergreen list. There's a lot of fun and interesting things in it that I want to clear the decks on between uh, now and uh, now in the new year. But let me just finish John Hinderocker's point about are the Democrats in trouble in 2022. Look, I think a lot of it depends on if Republicans are in trouble in Georgia I hope not, I hope not. Uh, we only need one of the two seats, and I thought it would have been a slam dunk. You know my thesis about this being a center right country don't you? Um, we talked a little bit about it. I go into it with Bill Bennett on his podcast uh that was aired it's available now it's the current one right the bill bennett show dot com I think is the website is that right William David is that right the bill bennett show dot com that's the website for it if you want to hear it. We go into this quite a bit but I just don't think Republicans should be so um, so encouraged that this is a conservative-leaning country. I, I, find me the institution that's conservative or center-right. Even the ter- the trend and tendency is um, it's it's center-left. It's not even center-left. You know what the trend trend and tendency is? It's liberal-left. It's liberal-left, and more and more left than liberal from education to journalism to academia to sports, you name it. The idea that the entire Republican Party has to roll up its sleeves, pull up its socks, empty its coffers to salvage a Senate seat in Georgia is a frightening thought to me. It shouldn't be a close call, especially with these two ridiculous candidates that the Democratic Party has put up. I think one of them, they have buyer's remorse over. He's just a walking disaster. They didn't vet him appropriately. That's Warnock. You look at some of the sermons he's delivered. And now some looks like pretty ugly stuff with an ex-wife. But Ossoff is just an empty suit who keeps losing. Um, the, the, the they're they're both not great candidates, and 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 we have to put together all of the king's horses and all of the king's men to beat those two guys or one of those two guys. That that is not that this this in the state of Georgia, Georgia, Red Georgia, land of Gingrich. Zell Miller. Holy cow. I remember I'm old enough to remember when Democrats like Zell Miller became Republicans. All right. Brandon Weicker coming right up. Don't go away. We will be right back.